Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Who's Your Band? Okay, I am here, as usual, with my lovely co-host, Mr. Sean Morton. How are you, Sean? Uh, I'm fantastic. And I know Sean is excited today. You can't I am. You by his voice, but he's I excited because he's a big, a big fan of, of our guest today. Our uh, guest today is drummer from... Uh, Jesus Christ, uh, typo negative and Danzig and and now Quiet Riot. We welcome in Mr. Johnny Kelly. How are you, John? Good afternoon, guys. How are you? Oh, we're fine, just, man. Uh, we're just wonderful, Johnny. Yeah. So now, are you living in Texas or are you just yeah, there yeah. for recording? I down here about like three years ago. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. Smart man. Originally from Brooklyn, right? Yes. Yeah. So when you, did you grow up in Brooklyn? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I grew up in Brooklyn. Uh, actually, uh, when I was born, my parents lived in Ridgewood. And uh, my parents are from Brooklyn, both of them. They're from uh, like Bed-Stuy uh, around there, uh, like Bedford Avenue and DeKalb Avenue, that area. And uh, we lived in Flatbush, we moved to Flatbush when I was like three years old, something like that. And then I lived in Brooklyn until I was in my 20s, and then I moved to Staten Island. Hey, that's where I'm, um, I'm right now. I'm, I'm in Staten Island. And then I so escaped. Me, <laughs> <laughs> well, smart man. So let me ask you, so when you were growing up, and we're, not, we're about the same age, did you do the whole uh, Lamores thing and go- Yeah, yeah, you know, I was a Lamoron. Yeah. Were you like, playing in bands at the time? I was a lot of the, most of the bands that I was playing in at the time, they weren't good enough to actually play Lamore. I only play, I only played Lamore with like a, I don't know, maybe somewhere less than like 10 times. Wow. I played it once. Who do you, re Who do you remember once. seeing at Lamore's? Like what was like, what's like fun memory? Oh God. I saw so many bands there. Uh, the, the first, the first time I went to Lamore, I went to see Saxon. Oh Jesus Christ. What a great show to see at Lamont's. Uh, I guess one of the one of the more exciting ones was uh, the whatever they called it with Wasp Metallica and Armored Saint. Holy shit! Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, uh, Wasp was torn on their. I think it was their first record, and yeah, right, because Wasp was like you know they were playing clubs, and uh, Metallica was touring on uh, Ride the Lightning. That, that is holy shit. I mean, that those were the days, man. Like when you would go, like even on Staten Island, remember we had like the Rock Palace and Snoopy. I played there a lot. <laughs> at, at the Rock Piles? Yeah, there I played there. I played the Red Spot. What played band were you in? Because I may have seen you. Oh God, I played. I played in so many bands back that back then. Yeah, I played yeah. a lot. Back then, you're in 19 bands now. It was, it, it was pretty much the same back then. <laughs> Yeah, so you know, if there was one band that was busy enough to keep, like you know where I didn't have to do that. I'd be okay yeah. with that. <laughs> Listen, you've you've had you've had a, a great career, man. Like you you have worked, you've been in great bands, and that leads me to like, like one of my first questions here. It's like, what's it like? Because one of my great memories of Lamores was I saw Quiet Riot at Lamores, and it was great. And it was right as Mental Health came out, so it was right. really really great um that one uh, like? was, was, was is quiet right with talus opening up no billy sheen no i know billy sheen ben. wait oh it may have been it may have my, been my buddy, because my I, buddy went, I think my buddy went to that show like my best friend at the time he was a couple of years older than me 
And uh, he went, and I remember him, like, you know, talking about, like, you know, going to see Quiet Riot, and then he was talking about Talis, and, you know, Billy Sheehan at the time was like, I mean, he's he's, a, he's an insane player now, but, you know, 35 years ago, 36 years ago, it was really over the top, and there really wasn't, you know, there weren't too many, you know, guys in, you know, metal playing like that. Yeah, and, and I think it was right before he, it was, because it was right before he went into David Lee Roth's band. Mm-hmm. Right. So, but for you, you're in this iconic band now. I mean, I think Quiet Riot is, man. They were like guys our age growing up. They were metal, man. They were, they were top 10. I remember seeing them. And, and what was great about them, especially when you got to see them in a place like Lemoore's, they were so accessible. They were such nice guys. Right. You know? So, so what's it like now to like take over for Frankie and now being a member of that band? Well, now it's it's a little bit different, you know, like for like the last, uh, you know, since last year, while Frankie was uh, like, you know, after he got diagnosed and he was like going in for treatment and stuff like that, I had been covering, you know, I, I covered for him for a bunch of shows. And it was always under the premise that it would be, you know, like, you know, just covering for him. And then, you know, when he was, you know, well enough or, you know, he would just come back and, you know, playing the band, you know, get back to work. And so we really didn't there wasn't like a real like timeline, you know, like I did a bunch of shows and then there was some stuff like uh, stuff on the West coast where Frankie didn't really have to travel far. And it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't so much of a, of a grind for him. And, and he played those shows. And then, uh, you know, Alex had called me and he was like, a, you know, it's like Frankie can't make a couple of shows. One of them was Sturgis. There was, there were a couple of gigs in the summer and it was, uh, they weren't really, uh, you know, they were just, they, you know, they just told me, you know, they were like, Frankie can't make it. Can you do the shows? And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm friends with Frankie. I've known Frankie, you know, a number of years now, you know, through Alex and, and uh, like we were like Facebook buddies. We'd always talk about drums and stuff like that. And, and, uh, and then when he realized that he wasn't going to be able to play anymore, Frankie said, you know, to call me you know, to, to finish whatever dates there were coming up and stuff like that. But even at that time, it wasn't a thing of like, you know, we, you know, like, you know, Frankie has days or, you know, like where it was coming down to the wire for him, you know, it's right. like, he's, he can't travel, you know, he's not up to it this week. Can Kelly do the shows, you know, and then it just turned around, boom, he's gone. Wow. That was that was really sad. He was a. Re- I've met him a couple of times. Really super super nice guy. Salt yeah, yeah. He was, was always a nice guy. I mean, like I said, you know, I got to you know hang out with him and spend time with him a bunch, you know, throughout the years after I met Alex. And uh, you know, now now it's it, you know it is kind of strange in a way, where it's you know like the you know the purpose of what I was doing with the band has completely changed now. Sure. You know so of, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of awkward and weird. And then at the same time there comes, you know, like it's kind of, you know, it's an honor and, and there's a certain amount of uh, responsibility that comes with it. Now. Right. You know, it's not just, you know, just covering it, you know, just filling in a gig, you know, just, you know, covering things while Frankie's out, like, you know, going for chemo. Right. Now it's like, you're, you're now the drummer now. The responsibility of his legacy is now, part of my my responsibility sure you know so so there's a little more weight to it 
but it's not the first time you've um, you've replaced a, a drummer. You've you um, you. I mean, an, another again, I, another big iconic drummer. Career out of replacing somebody. <laughs> <laughs> you have. I mean, you replaced uh, Vinny Apice in uh, Kill Devil, uh, right? I replaced Sal Abrascato in Typo. Mm -hmm. I replaced Joey C in Danzig. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so like every band that I played with, I've like, you know, walked in replacing, you know, someone else. You know, one thing I, yep. I, I love about, uh, you know, after you replaced Sal, it's the one thing I noticed, and I've known this, you know, since I, I'm, I'm from that like New York hardcore scene, you know, okay, so yeah. um, his drumming style is so poignant. Like you can hear a band and know when he's playing drums in it and yeah, you, you, you stepped right in and that it didn't miss a beat it did not miss a beat in there and how, how does it when you're in uh going into a, a really like popular band like i know you've gone into you know typo so and you just tell the drummer he didn't miss a beat but i'm uh, <laughs> well, you guys are comedians right i'm gonna get him johnny don't worry he's gonna say something stupid it's only 11 minutes in. it's only 11 minutes and trust me uh but what i'm trying to say is like this, this there's a definite style difference you know, yeah. and in other bands as well as Danzig and even with, with BLS, I mean, how do you, do you try to adapt a little bit to like the, the, the actual recording or are you just trying to throw your own stuff in? Some of the stuff, well, uh, like with, with Black Label, for instance, I wasn't really very familiar with a lot of most of their catalog, most of the material, you know, like Will, when Will Hunt called me up to replace him, you know, to, to cover for him, you know, it was like, you know, can you do this? Can you get out here as soon as possible? And I, I knew a couple of, I was familiar with a couple of songs on the radio and that, that was about the extent of it. And then, uh, like he called me, I was in my car, I was driving when he, when he called me at the time and I just started going on iTunes down, you know, going on iTunes, getting the whole catalog. And I was like, just send me a set list. And he sent me a set list and he sent me a recording of the rehearsal, you know, with all the cues and everything. And so it was like, you know, like it's, uh with that with that one too i got the uh i flew out to london and will stayed on for a couple of days so i got to watch him i got to study him while he performed so i watched two shows with them and then worked a little bit like you know with sound checks and stuff with the other guys in the band um how long does it take you to learn like you know a new band songs it varies you know if it, it depends on the kind of band it is if it's something that's pretty simple you know pretty simple arrangements and stuff like that you know, I, I could fudge my way through it. You know, I, I did it with uh, Quiet Riot. You know, like Alex called me to play. The first show that I played with them was actually in Dallas. And I had two days to learn the set. Really? Yeah, yeah. two days. So and I, I was in New York when he called me. And so I had to fly home. And then, you know, like I would just like, you know, again, went on iTunes, grabbed a bunch of, a bunch mm -hmm. of the, you know, send me the set list. You know, some of the stuff I was familiar with, you know, a lot of it's very iconic. So, yeah. you know, like uh, there are some songs, some songs are pretty uh, tricky as far as like the arrangements and stuff like that. But I basically got the gist of what was going on. Like I knew Bang Your Head and I knew, you know. I, but, but how long does it take you to kind of get like the timing down with the rest of the band? It really depends. It, you know, it could be, you know, like sometimes it, it'll take a few shows. Yeah. Really, like when, when I first when I first walk into something like that, you really just worried about trying to not make a train wreck. 
What does you that know? mean? Like you know, it's not going to be. You know, it's not going to be perfect. But as long as there isn't something that's so blatantly obvious and it, and it just stops the whole band, right? You know, then you're you know you could pretty much get away with it. And then you hear those mistakes. And when you play them in front of three thousand people, you're like, I'll know better next time not to do that again. <laughs> Would the audience, I know when uh, I know when Max Weinberg. You'll pick up on that. I'm sorry. Would the audience be able to pick up on that, or is it something that you would know? Most of the time, you know, probably not. You know, like unless it's something like you know painfully obvious. You know, you could sure. you know, like you know cheat your way through it. You know, like a singer could whatever sing the same verse a few times. You know, and only like you know the real hardcore fans, diehards are gonna know. Hey, you know, the, the, sing the same. You know, sing the first verse. You know, whatever in the wrong spot or whatever. Hmm. You know, but no, it's, people, it's got to be so hard because I remember reading an article that when Max Weinberg, who was drummer for Bruce, had to step away for a little while, and his son Jay filled in. Mm-hmm. And he handed him a book and said, well, you got eight days and there was 250 songs in the book. Because <laughs> he said, there's a chance we're going to play all 250 of these songs over the next 10 days. Right. Yeah. Like some some artists are like that. Like, you know, you have to learn the whole catalog. I, I uh, Like when uh, Kenny. Kenny from, Arnoff? Yeah. Kenny, Kenny Hickey. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kenny Hickey did a run, did a few dates with Danzig. Like, 14 like in 2006 when steve zing first came to the band mm-hmm. and so i was working with you know i was like basically breaking the both of them in because i was the only guy left and they were like well what's the set and glenn you know like he gives us the set like as we're driving to the first show <laughs> <laughs> you know he's writing it down and i was like honestly i said i have no idea so they had to learn like you know like 30 songs and we were like, well, he might play this. We might not play this on this on this run. You know, we're not sure what he's gonna what he's gonna, you know, pick. And you know, I would call him and say, Glenn, you know, I need a set list. You know, these guys. You know, we're dealing with new guys. <laughs> so all right, I'll get it to you. And it just never happened. So they had to. We was just like rehearsing with them. I was like, all right, let's go. Th- let's go through all of them. Hmm. And uh, here's a question I wanted to ask you: Were you considered to fill in for the mis- to do the Misfits show, or is it always going to be? Uh, honestly i don't think so i I don't think i was considered um because me personally i would have rather seen that i'm not gonna lie what happened was that it was it kind of got to the point where it was like everybody wanted their drummer you know jerry has jerry has his guy forget who's playing with them now you know doyle has his had his drummer glenn had me and zing you know zing plays drums also he played in sam heen which i think he wanted steve to do it not Which true. would have been cool, you know, because Steve's yeah. part of that, you know, he's part of that family tree and stuff. That would have been cool. So it, it got to that point. Everybody wanted their guys. So then they just decided nobody from anyone's bands. That's why they brought in yeah. Ace to play, you know, to do the other guitar playing instead of, say, like Tommy or, you know. Sure. That makes sense. So, yeah. they, you know, whatever. I guess just to keep it neutral. It would have been fun, yeah. you know. Yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah. Where did you learn how to play drums, and when did you learn? Uh, I, I when I first learned how to play drums, a guy lived on my block in Brooklyn when I was like eleven years old, and uh, I guess maybe at the time he was all of maybe like I don't know, sixteen, seventeen, but he just seemed like a total adult. <laughs> yeah. He had a car, and uh, and he was like, "You want to learn how to play drums?" And I was like, completely consumed with Kiss at the time. I was like, "Yeah, yeah, absolutely." So that then he, seems to be everyone's gateway into yeah, rock and roll was absolutely. Kiss, especially our age. 
Yeah, it was uh, something my father had a big influence on me as far as like my music and, you know, like that kind of stuff. My father was a huge, uh, you know, Stones fan, Beatles fan. I mean, I'm surprised my brother isn't named Paul. <laughs> you know, or that like, you know, one of us isn't named Keith. And uh, so then it was uh, like, you know, so I, I learned how to play, like, you know, learned how to play a beat or whatever. And then and every once in a while, his, his name was Eddie. He would let me like, you know, go in his house and play his drums a little bit. And then, uh, and then that was, that was it until I was like 15, you know, it was, it was, it was funny. Like, you know, like in a weird way, I'm hanging out with my friends and stuff. And one of my friends that we hung out with, like, I had no idea, but he was like taking guitar lessons and played in a band. And we, I had no idea. I was like, you play in a band? <laughs> Cause he came from like rehearsal and he was like, yeah, he's like, you know, my, uh, you know, we, we, whatever, we kicked our drummer out or our drummer quit. They don't have a drummer. And I was like, it's like, you play in a band. He's like, you, you play guitar. <laughs> I had no idea. We used to hang out with this guy every day. <laughs> wow. So that was the first band you were in? So then I, I, I told him, I was like, I said, I played drums a little bit. I like, you know, I learned how to play a little. He's like, I said, you know, I could play. And so he was like, he's like, good. Why don't you come like, you know, come down to the studio next time we're rehearsing. And they literally right around the corner from our, my house was a rehearsal studio. Yeah. And I had no idea about that either. And uh, <laughs> so I, I went so to rehearsal never- with them and started, played with them. And I was like, that was it. I, I never stopped playing. And you never, like, you know, growing up in Brooklyn and, and and at the time, you never, like, went over to the other side and maybe, like, did a little disco, be a little bit of a disco guy? I was kind of young for that. I mean, I there was, like, a kid's, like, dance club around the corner from my house that would be open during the day and go there and, like, you know, like, all the kids from, from uh, grade school and stuff like that. And, uh, I mean, I remember, like, you know, throwing all my disco records down the block, watching them fly and shit, and, you know. <laughs> See, he keeps saying that you guys are the same age, which, so you know, Jeff is a lot older than you. I'm 52. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yeah. Uh, but you, ne- you never did like the whole Plaza Suite thing or go to Bay Ridge and you never did that? No, when I when I went to Bay Ridge, it was all like a, like a lot of cover bands and, you know, bars and stuff like that. Not, not really like, you know, dance clubs. But I, I used to go to Bay Ridge. We used to go, my friends and I, we'd go down there a lot. Like, you know, go down there on the weekends and stuff. And then later on, I wound up playing in Bay Ridge a whole bunch. Yeah, when did you start like playing like professionally? Like when it started to be like, hey man, like I think I can make a living doing this. Uh, it wasn't really so much where it was like I think I can make a living. As much as it was, I had a job. I used to work at this this shop on Coney Island Avenue, and uh, it was like it was like Pet Boys with a one person garage. That was me. So, so, uh, I joined typo and like, you know, Peter used to come to my shop all the time. He used to come to the store and hang out with me. And like, you know, at the time, my best friend was my, was the manager and, uh, and he would come and hang out at the shop and I'd work on his car and, you know, stuff like that. And you just hang out. And, um, when I joined the band, it wasn't. the plan wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like, Oh, you know, world domination, we're going to make it, you know, it was like, don't quit your day job. Wow. Really? Yeah. Cause Peter didn't really have the desire to tour. He, he did it a little bit on the first record and he was, you know, like he, 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 he left the tour like, you know, two weeks in 
And, you know, like he, he just didn't want to travel. That wasn't his thing. You know, he just well, wanted like, it was know, really, wanted, uh, really wanted, one of the biggest shocks I can remember was, you know, getting that phone call, you know, how, how did you guys find out about him passing? Uh, I got a phone call from his sister. And, you know, it was always in the back of my mind because, you know, you always heard those, those rumors, you know, you know, years before you'd hear all the stupid shit about, you know, him passing and he stuff. Was on so. a, he, was, he did a lot of things. He was on the rampage for a long time. And yeah. had it been like, you know, a year or two earlier than when he died, I wouldn't have been surprised. Really? But when he did die, it, it was a surprise because he was, you know, he was sober, he was clean, you know, he had a, he had a pretty good uh, uh, outlook ahead. And, uh, you know, he was excited about moving back to New York and, you know, getting ready to work on another record and stuff. And, and uh, he, you know, he was, you know, he had a lot of things going for him and he was, and he was able to recognize it. I always hate that. Like when you hear about like somebody who gets clean and then something happens after that. It's kind of like when somebody retires from their job after working there 40 years, and then all of a sudden they're gone six months later. It's well, just, it's just a horrible, yeah, it's, you, it's, you want to see the good outcome out of it. You don't want to right. see, you, the, want, you want to see the happy ending, you know, like exactly. the, you know, the, you know the, the, the good overcoming, you know, evil. And, you know, how does it feel though? Like, you know, it's like, it's gotta be 25 years later now that you still see people walking around wearing, typo shirts and still playing uh <laughs> playing all this stuff it was such it was such a band that um people related to on you know you had your goth kids and then you had your metal dudes and then you had people who would hear black number one and think it was like you know that that kind of even went into that weird crossover of people who don't like metal yeah. Yeah. And would still hear that. How does it feel to like know that that twenty five years later? Well, now, like you know, like when it, when we were when the band was active and we were like you know like you know whatever making records and touring and stuff like that and working and stuff, we never sat, never took a step back and sat you know sat back and was like you know took inventory and like wow we've done a lot of things like you know like what we've done is cool. It's just you're just in the middle of of doing your thing. And you just like pretty much, I guess, like, you know, like for me, I'm just looking ahead. What's next? What's next? Like, you know, what are we doing? You know, where we go from here? It wasn't like, wow, we really like, you know, made a mark. You know, now oh, man, definitely like, made you know, a mark. 10, years, 10 years removed from that and like 11 years tomorrow since we played our last show. Right. You know, it's uh, now I look back on it and I'm like, wow, I can't believe that. Like, you know, people still you know, hold the band in high regard and like, you know, people still remember it. I mean, I think about like some of the, like, you know, a lot of like, you know, the bands that I was into, you know, 25 years ago, a lot of them, they, they just disappeared. Right. You know, they, they just, they're, they're gone. And it's like, you know, like if I run across their CD, I'm like, or, or like, you know, one of their songs somewhere. So I'm like, Jesus, I haven't heard this song in 25 years. Sure. <laughs> no, I get it. I get it because there's, but, there's but, so but, many bands. It, seems, it just seems different, you know, and it's, you know, now I look back on it and I'm like, I can't believe it. Like, you know, like 25 years later, like, you know, people are still, you know, like talking about the band, holding it in high regard. Like, you know, now we've like, you know, like in the last year we, we came out with merch and uh, like we've done some reissues, like, you know, now that vinyl is popular again, you're like, you know, we're, tr we're trying to, you know, like we're reintroducing a lot of like, you know, what we did, you know, years ago. 
and people are still like, you know, like going crazy over it. <laughs> yeah, one of the worst things I ever did was buy that. I never bought the Record Store Day box set that had the entire discography in there because I could have bought it for $150 and I got to find that on eBay for 1000 Yeah, so. I know, it's for a lot of money. And the other, we did another one. Yes, I just saw, I missed out on that one too. Thanks, I Johnny. I that too. Like, yeah. I, just, I just found out. Like, you know, I, I don't see numbers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm a big vinyl guy. So that was like... That was like, um, you know, you have the holy grails if you're if you collect something and stuff like that. And like for me, it was always finding uh, the self-titled Danzig, Bloody Kisses and Queensryche's Empire. So I got very lucky that they re-released Empire. I found a great bootleg of uh, this, the Danzig self-titled and I right. found an original copy of Bloody Kisses. I bought it for $75 on eBay and then I flipped that shit really quick and sold it for $225. <laughs> But I bought the reissue that run out group put out, which sometimes. is I'm like, wow, I have a few copies of that record. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, the, the great thing about it too is like there's so many great companies now, like Run Out Groove, who are putting out these really pivotal albums too yeah. and re-releasing them. And it's opening up to a lot of different people because one thing I always say is that you've had your hardcore people who loved vinyl, but yeah. it kind of went away and it went underground. And this is the only good thing that hipsters ever brought back to this generation <laughs> is vinyl and good coffee. Yeah. So I thank them for that, but <laughs> it's also jacked up a lot of prices too. In the meanwhile. Yeah. I noticed there's like a couple of record shops, not far from here that I, that I've been to. And it's, it's like, really? Like I saw, I saw one of the Danzig records and I was like, Thirty dollars. I was like, I don't want it that bad. I was like, yeah. <laughs> <back in> the <laughs> rack. Like, yeah, can't you just make a phone call to have that sent to your house? <laughs> usually, Glenn, like you know, does he sends me like you know, like a anything the vinyl that comes out, like you know, usually get a package in the mail. But I didn't. I'm not sure if I got that. Huh. I'm not sure. Yeah. I used I, to. Last thing I got, I got, I finally got a, I got a copy of the uh, Nativity in Black. Oh, I hate you, man. I waited online for three hours to get there. And they call, I called the guy on the phone and I was like, do you have a copy? He goes, I do. I said, can you hold it? No. I go, I'm nine people ahead of, I'm nine people from the front of the line. He goes, sorry, dude, hung up on me. Oh, so of course I wait the nine people and one of the nine in front of me decided to buy the record. So I had no idea that it was coming out. Oh, really? Yeah. And I saw it on, I saw it online and I was like, oh shit. And I saw the vinyl, like, you know, the packaging. I was like, wow, this is pretty, this is pretty cool. So yeah. I, I wrote um, my manager, the guy that's working with Typo. I was like, dude, I was like, can you get us a couple of copies of this? He was like, oh, he goes, I'm already on it. Nice. <laughs> and like a week later, two copies showed up. Jeff, do you remember that record? It was the Nativity in Black, the, uh, the Black Sabbath tribute record with all the great metal bands of the 90s and 2000s? Of course I do, because I was a huge Sabbath fan. I was going to say... Um, I used to have everything on vinyl first edition because growing up, I owned a record store and that's how I put my, you know, that's how I put myself through college. Yeah. In Staten Island, I had a record store. Which one? It was called first time records. It was in four bridges. Oh yeah. And I had, I had, I had AJ Perro and Eddie Ojeda from Twisted Sister come down. Uh, this is at the height of stay hungry and they would do a record signing. I no, took so I always kind from of, AJ. You were, you were friends with uh, AJ? Yeah, very good friends. I took lessons from him. I teched for him a bunch. Oh, uh, yeah. He was, he played he was a great city. dude. Yeah. yeah. Now, hey, did you know a, 
Did you know a guy um, who he played with in a band uh, with? Uh, band was called Cities, and the yeah. guitarist was Steve uh, Irons. Aronovich. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I yeah. remember. I went to high. I went to high school with Steve. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised. He was the high school rock star. <laughs> oh, cool. Um, hey, no, I want to also ask you. Um, what made you guys? I, I, Sean and I love covers. We talk about covers all the time. What made you guys do cover versions of uh, "Summer Breeze" and "Cinnamon Girl"? Really, that came from Peter, and Peter was like a you know, basically Peter was a product of his environment, and you know, growing up. You know, he was whatever, you know, well, he's, he had six years on me, and, uh, you know, in the 70s. You know, he was a teenager in the 70s. And that was a lot of, like, you know, popular, like, you know, AM radio hits and stuff. And, you know, like a lot of that stuff, like I knew all this stuff. And, you know, all, not from having the records, but because it was on the radio all the time. Like now when I'm in my car, I listen to, like, you know, the 70s station or like Yacht Rock. Torture my wife <laughs> But it has all it has all those all those like you know like those hits you know like Baker Street and you know Copacabana and stuff like that, and then Peter was like you know he would just come up with an idea he was like I, I want to cover this song, and then we'd like you know we like uh well I wasn't in the band when they did uh, Summer Breeze but like you know like when we when we did Cinnamon Girl, that started out as something that we were just playing live, and then when when it was time to record when it was time to make uh october rust then we we did a version of it for the record but uh it started out as something like you know to just play live and you know something to just have fun with and a lot of times you know like when when typo did covers we would not really try to do something that would you know replicate it say like a you know like a, like a cover band right it was your own it basically it made it original. absolutely is your own yeah uh, especially cinnamon girl the girl the goal with it was to be like you know all right we're going to cover this song you know how would the song have sounded had we written it hmm. that's a good so, approach so we would take a song you know whatever it was you know like uh, we, we did a bunch of covers over the years but it was uh like you know how would this song sound had we written it so basically like you know you're taking the lyrics and the song structure and uh you know and then everything else around it is getting completely changed sure and adrenaline mob was doing that too though i mean they they put out a couple uh didn't they kind of start out like you know they were doing like covers and stuff like that at yeah first? and they were just i mean mind-blowing versions of some of these songs i mean they would do devil went down to georgia and without the fiddle part he was wailing on the guitar right and uh Mm -hmm. I, like like Jeff said, it, it, covers are just amazing. I love I love cover songs. I always feel like it's a great honor to the original artist, but I think it's also a tribute to the arts that's actually covering them if you're doing it differently. You're doing it note for note, beat for beat, and you sound it. It's you know, it it's like if you, it. you know, like during the song, you want to say, "Hey, don't forget to tip your bartenders." You know, like right, <laughs> exactly. Here every Thursday, you know, <laughs> exactly. You know, it's kind of like you know, like a. You know, it, it it goes back to a time like, you know, also like when you first started playing, you know, you're learning sure. other songs like, you know, the guitar player always wanted to learn a Van Halen song or, you know, and uh, and it was, you know, there was just that fun of just playing music also. Favorite and, band from the New York hardcore scene? Mine? Yeah. Mm, I don't know. Biohazard. Okay. You guys toured a lot with them though too, right? Typo did a tour with them. The, the first tour, the one that Peter, you know, left on, it was, right. uh, it was, uh, 
typo, biohazard, and the exploited. Oh, wow. Yeah. Tough room. Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Speaking of I, I worked with the band for one show on that yeah. tour. Oh, really? Yeah, because Peter, like, uh, like they did the tour. They, they came home. And then the last show of the tour was at the Hollywood Palladium. And they, the manager, our manager at the time, Ken Creedy, excuse me, wanted the band to do that one show. So we flew Peter and I worked for the band and we drove cross country to do one show and then drove back. Wow. That's pretty cool. It was like, I was telling somebody, I forget if it was like, you know, during like a podcast or like, you know, telling, you know, someone recently, you know, and all this stuff, like, you know, that's like almost 30 years ago. That was probably still one of the best times I've ever had in my life. What did you consider your home, like your home base as far as, uh, when you're playing locally here in the New York area, like what was your favorite venue to play in this area? Uh, out of all of them. I mean, I know it's different levels of careers and stuff like that, but like, you know, like Roseland or Hammerstein or studio one. Well, typo typo never played Hammerstein. We did once for the, there was a thing, uh, a fundraiser that concrete was doing for the TJ Martel foundation. Mm. And I, I, I think that was, I think that was Hammerstein. And we just like, you know, we just played a couple of songs, but I, it wasn't like one of our gigs, but I played the Hammerstein with, uh, with Danzig. That was fun. Uh, I mean, I would say uh, Giant Stadium would be like, like the, the highlight of it, but it wasn't because it was a total shit show. That was OzFest 97, right? Yeah. And that was the whole thing with the Giant Stadium and, you know, whatever. Security they, and Ozzy and Marilyn Manson took them to court about yep. putting the show on and just then- so you know when you guys were on i was in section like probably 123 and over in section 125 there was a girl getting railed during the <laughs> in, your entire set just so you know well it was early too and it was like you know it was a bum out because it was like you know like during that ozfest tour like you know we had a pretty good slot like you yeah know, you know it was like we usually we were going on like around like seven o'clock so it was like you know there were a couple of bands were already on uh, you know, doors had been open for a while. So by the time we went on, we were going on like, you know, right before Pantera. So it was a good slot. And there was always like a good amount of people. And then because of all the security concerns with Giant Stadium, they 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 crushed the second stage. They cut everybody's set. We played, I think our set was what, like 20 minutes? About 25 minutes, yeah, something like that. Which which for typo was two songs. Right. I, I think <laughs> it was. I think we played like Black Number One, Christian Woman, and maybe something else. Yeah. And Johnny, uh, in 95, uh, you guys toured with Pantera. Yes. Right. And yep. what, what, what was it like touring with those guys, man? That's like that. Isn't that like the height of Pantera? Like, you know, like the, yeah, it was the, the height, it was the height for both bands. You yeah. know, like we, we were at our most popular at that point too. And, uh, and they were, they, you know, far beyond driven. That was like, you know, like they were at the peak of their popularity and they, you know, they, they moved from like, you know, the small theaters into the arenas and stuff. And uh, so, like, at that point, like, you know, everybody's, like, you know, doing well. So it's a great time. And, and it, like, you know, touring with that guy, with, with that band and their crew and stuff. And it was an insane asylum on wheels. Yeah, they're nice. They're nice boys. They didn't drink a lot. They didn't smoke a lot. They like to meditate after shows. Yeah, there was a lot of yeah. that. A lot of, uh, like, you know, a lot of sage around. And stuff. Yeah, exactly. A lot, lot of uh, finding your chakras. I and... Sundays. <laughs> <laughs> I used to work production on shows and there was a tour where it was Pantera, Rob Zombie, 
and I forgot the opening band on that tour. And Pantera would hang out. This was at the arena. Um, that suicidal? No, no, it wasn't suicidal. I think no. it was the Deftones, it, actually. If it was the Deftones. That's exactly who it was. Okay, it was the Deftones, Rob Zombie, and Pantera, and those guys hung out until about five, six o'clock in the morning, and about six, seven thousand dollars worth of damage later. And that sounds about right. And when they, you know, when they started making money, then the bills would just get higher. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Can you pick a favorite tour that you've been on? It would have to be the Pantera tour. Yeah. You know, like that was the one. It just it wasn't just uh like, you know, just touring with a band and stuff. Like, you know, they they really treated us well and it, it became like it was like a big family, like, you know, everybody. It was like we were all on the same team. So there Makes was sense. a there was a there was um this camaraderie that was uh, unique unto itself compared to like the other tours that we did. Hmm. Here's like, a question. There, I, there some, I mean, there was some cool stuff and it's like, you know, it was always like give and take, you know, it was like, you know, like there would be like, you know, like something weird or like, you know, some kind of drama, some kind of crazy shit. The wheels are falling off the bus all the time, but at the same time you're having the time of your life. Sure. Well, how, how do you feel about, musicians like putting their political views into songs and during this kind of climate because uh you know you know typo and life of agony and and all these bands were the bands that i grew up on and you know like one of my favorite bands is machine head and i feel that he lost a lot of his fan base because he started putting a lot of his political views into the music i mean do you think that's like a uh, a smart thing to do on a professional I'm, level i'm not sure i like uh like you know because if you look at the earlier part of our career you know we, we were kind of like you know in the in the mix of it too i don't know how peter would contend with today's climate had he you know had he been alive <laughs> that's very true yeah that is very true i didn't think of that <laughs> you know, he, was, he was very politically incorrect and uh you know so who knows um but I kind of look at it like, you know, I mean, now that I'm older, of course, I pay more attention to, you know, like politics and the news and stuff than I did say when I was like, you know, 20. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, like, like, for instance, today, uh, you know, I read the news, I read, you know, I hear the news and stuff. I hear the talk radio and stuff like that. And it's like, you know, all right, I got enough of it. And then I come to my computer again I turn the news off and then I start working on music and it's like, I've tried to, you know, like music to me is kind of like an escape. I don't need sure. it to be a, you know, a grim reminder of everything that's bad in the world. That's exactly the answer I was hoping I was going to hear. You know? I mean, yeah, I have my own, I have my own political beliefs and whatever. Sure, we all do. Everybody not, does. You know, it's that, you know, like there's a time for that. There's a time for, you know, that discussion, but it's not, not when I, you know, not when I get behind a kit, it's not what I want to, you know, uh, convey to like, you know, to, you know, share with the world as far as, you know, like that. I want, I want to have, you know, some kind of a good time and escape or something like that. Same thing with sports. That's why I was getting, I was getting upset with a lot of the sports figures and stuff sure. where it's like, you know, you know, I'm, 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 you know, being a part of, 
you know, watching a game or something like that, because I don't want to watch the news. I don't want to be reminded about what's going on. And it's like, all right, fine. I get it. I understand what you're doing. I understand your, your point. But, you know, for like that two hours, I don't want to be reminded of it. Yeah, it's a double it's a double edged sword because you know when you, when you're an athlete like that too, you're you're looked up to by so many impressionable kids. And there's the other twenty two hours of the day where you can do whatever you know, pick up whatever cause you want, and you know, by all means. Yeah, what are you a fan that. of, John? I'm a diehard New York Rangers fan. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, yeah. Listen, I, I I knew I didn't like you for a reason because I'm an Islanders fan. Well, <laughs> See, Jeff's a masochist. He likes the Islanders. He likes the Islanders, and he doesn't like doing well on stage. So. <laughs> well, I am a Mets fan too. Oh You're God, a Met fan? Johnny! It's tough. You're a Mets fan. Yeah, if I, my my dad raised me as a Mets fan. And... Me, this is a good day for us. <laughs> They they they, my, uh, they approve their owner. Jets fan also, but it, oh my! Uh, long story okay. short, um, you know, like uh, the this girl that I was that I dated for years when I was a teenager. The only way her brothers would let me in the house was if I was a Redskins fan. So I was I became a Redskins fan. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I remember having like a similar situation like that when I had my band the very first show we played at this little dive bar in Fairview, New Jersey and I was growing my hair really trying to grow my hair so long for this and then I get up there and this girl that I had a crush on I was like how'd you like the show she goes it's it was really good I enjoyed it I go thanks she goes you should cut your hair tomorrow I go okay no problem <laughs> and I totally did it I, I buzzed it all off the next day and it never grew back mm -mm. <laughs> very true but yeah I, but uh yeah but, you know back to the thing you know like with the you know like with sports and it's like you know like it's just like i don't want to get into the political debate i want to watch I you i want to watch your face off and you know shoot pucks and body checks and you know yeah, I mean, the reason I brought it up is because, like, I remember a show, like, my mom is a, a huge musical influence on me, you know, raised me up with country and stuff like that, but also appreciates good, like, rock and stuff, and she wanted me to take her to see Kid Rock a couple years ago. Now, and I'll just, I, I, I don't talk about my political beliefs. My mother hates Donald Trump with a passion, despises yeah. him. So we go to Kid Rock, and we're sitting there, and he plays one song I forgot, and then second song, he went into a 20-minute video about being pro-Trump so and I was like um, my mother's like right here and I can see her fuming <laughs> and like all she wants to do is hear the Sheryl Crow picture song <laughs> yeah. and, she, and she's watching a pro-Trump rally being you know driven across the screen so yeah. I kind of understand like why people do it but I, I agree with you when it comes to certain things I just want to enjoy that thing I don't want an agenda I don't want anything hindering the fact that I want to watch the Mets lose. That's what all it comes down to. I want to watch the Mets. Why? Lose. What did the Mets ever do to you? What did they ever do? They did nothing for this for this whole area since 1986. And it's only because one guy had a ball run between his legs. It's the only reason why. <laughs> oh, come on. The, the, the Mets are harmless. They're harmless. You got, you, and, you got, you got and winless. They're getting close to getting a new owner. If, uh, no, it's Fazio. approved. Yeah, Johnny, it's approved today. Fazio's trying to, you know, throw a no, wrench. No, 
It's already it's already been approved. The whole thing is a done deal. It's a new day. So I was just reading this whole thing about how De Blasio is making a stink because it's he you know, did he really the press, did. The press blew that out of out of proportion. It was it was never it was never going to be an issue because because also this guy is one of he's the richest owner in baseball now, right? He could right. simply have said, "I buy the team and you know what." Go fuck yourself. I will build my own stadium. And now the city's stuck with, with a vacant city field. Yeah, I guess. We're yeah. never gonna do that. No, but I'm I'm ex- I'm super ex- excited about that. But I I'm I agree with both of you guys hundred percent. You put on a game, I don't want to hear I, I if I have to hear the word, you know, Trump and Biden one more time. I, I is, election can't come fast enough for it I mean, to be if, if I if I wanna if I wanna read about that or like, you know, I wanna, you know, be, you know, get information or like you know engage in that you know i'll put on a news i'll go to a news website not when i like you know when i want to like you know like a you know whatever listen to you know listen to music or play music and it's like or like you know like watch a hockey game you know i I just want to be about the hockey game i'm trying to get away from what's going on in the real world and you know like you know it's like escapism and, and when you when you bring reality you know, too close to that, it it, it, it kind of bothers me. John, Just you want to hear a story it, here? I got, hold on a second. So I got, I got a story I got to share with them is because I was working production uh, backstage. I think it was an Eagles concert. And uh, we were with a bunch of my friends. We were all working together. And I, get, I feel a tap on my shoulder. And I turn around and it's Brian Leach. Ah. And, <laughs> and my friend uh, told him, he pointed uh, me out to him and said, see that guy over there? He's the biggest Ranger fan you're going to meet. And he came <laughs> over and he had a card, like a, an index card type of thing. And he signed it to me. I still have it. To That's this great. Day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He was, he was such a super, super nice guy. I don't hate the Rangers, by the way. I'm only kidding. I, I, but the I have an eye on the isn't fan. what it used to be. No, oh, no, no, because they haven't been good at the same time. Yeah, there isn't, there isn't that, the rivalry doesn't seem as like, uh, as fierce anymore. Like, you know, like you go to, like to go to a Ranger Island game was like, there was something, you know, there was a whole like different electricity in the, in the arena. And How say, far back like, do you go with the Rangers? Uh, I started, I, I became a fan like a big fan where I say I spent my whole teenage years playing roller hockey and stuff. I became a big fan when they went to the cup with JD and like Don Murdoch and stuff like that. So what? Like oh, okay. okay. So that, that, that was the cup yeah. against the Canadians. That yes. was like 79. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. So you, so you have some history. So, so you suffered long enough until you got to, oh, yeah, to 94. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah but see, back then, but- when, when they won the cup, I was out of town. <laughs> I was I was on tour. <laughs> I remember going up when uh I think the Canadians were playing the Rangers uh in the playoffs. It was right before and my friends are sports retarded. Like I'm not they're not my sports friends. These are like my 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 metal friends and all that, but yeah. I'm a sports guy. And they're saying, What are all these guys with red shirts walking around for? <laughs> now we're, we're literally we stayed about a block and a half from the Bell Center in Montreal. Okay. And I was explaining yeah. to them that, you know, well, you know, the New York Rangers are playing the Montreal Canadians. And I think it was game seven or something like that. And, and I think the and Rangers. You saw it in Montreal? In Montreal. And I think the Rangers beat them to knock them out. I think it was like the divisional series, or whatever. Right. Yeah. And they were like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to tell them we're from New York. And I go, 
I'm going to tell you, I'm going to meet you back at the hotel. Because <laughs> they're yeah. a bunch of assholes. I just read that the, that the, the guy spent $2.5 billion buying the mess. Yes, he did. Wow. Steve Cohen. That's, that is like spending $16,000 on a Whopper. <laughs> he has a net worth of over $14 billion. There's a drop in the bucket for this guy. <sighs> Look, all right, here's, here, let, me, let me ask you a question. So, so This is a good day for me. I'm happy. In the World Series. <laughs> he, he's worth $14 billion, so he spends 2.5 of that to buy a basically double A baseball team. They're not a double A baseball team. They got Jacob DeGrom. Come on, man. They're going to be good. They are going to be. I am so excited. Well, hopefully, I can't hopefully he spends the money. You know, hopefully he will. opens up his wallet, spends the money, brings in good players, and that they're competitive and it's exciting. Johnny, I, I thought more of you. And I, I really hope did. that they let fans into the I said, game. I hope. I don't expect it. I hope. <laughs> What, what, band, been what bands are you listening to now? I want yeah, to know what kind of new music you're listening to. I don't That's really listen to a lot of new music. So there's some stuff that, like, you know, that I thought was kind of cool that, like, you know, like some of my students have turned me on to. Um, I'm one of those guys on the fence. I don't have a problem with Greta Van Fleet. God damn it, Johnny. <laughs> no, we talk about this all the time. Thank you. Thank were, you prepped, were you prepped for this interview? No, for no, I, didn't say? Get, I didn't get any talking points before, oh. before I called. I can't oh, stand that, them. No, I, do, I don't thank have... Thank you, man. No, you have to take it into... You know, take it for what it is. They're kids. And they're kids that are playing that kind of music. I, I'd rather them play that kind of music than what the other options are. Exactly. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Oh. with that. <laughs> You're killing me, Kelly. You're killing me. No, no, no. He, listen, he, he's right on the money. You're sure. a great band. You're the weirdo. You're a great band. You're the weirdo. But I, I, I like the idea of young kids going in that direction. Sure. I, I understand that aspect so that, of it. But so just, that yeah. I like. Uh, there was some other uh, there was some other band. Was, oh, man. Royal something. Royal Blood. Yeah. Two-person band. I, is it? Yeah, two-person band. And they, uh, I saw them open up for the Foo Fighters. And uh, they cranked that shit really high. You thought there was six people in the band. I'll tell you that right now. I thought it was pretty cool. Like, you know, Very good. Like, yeah, like uh, one of my students was like, you know, wanted to work on one of the songs or whatever. And I, I thought it was I thought it was all right. And Very was, different vibe when like you're taking like two strings from a bass and two strings from a guitar and putting it together and playing it. Kind of like that band really Local well, Is it really weird like that? Like, it's, you know? it's Local Age was great. Yeah, like yeah. Local H was a good band, but this is a lot heavier than that band. So I, I, I dig them. I definitely dig those that band a lot. And uh, what do I, what do I listen to, dude? I'm telling you, I listen to a lot of old stuff still. Um, little Grand Funk. Yes, very much. You know, Grand Funk, uh, Humble Pie. Of course, like you know, the, the you know Sabbath and Zeppelin and. Uh, I've been on a little bit, you know, drumming wise. I'm on a little bit of a uh, Ian Pace kick. Hmm. Ah, that's uh, Deep Purple. And I've never, I'm not really a fan of Deep Purple, but I love Ian Pace as a drummer. I found a very interesting band that you might be in, you might like. They're called Jazz Sabbath. How, are you familiar with Max Sabbath? Oh, I love Max Sabbath. It's so, it's so <laughs> different. Jeff, you know who Max Sabbath is? No, am I going to hate this? Yes, you're going to hate it terribly. <laughs> it's basically. Let me see if I can find they it. They dress up. 
Yeah, they dress up like the characters from McDonald's from the 80s. So it's like, oh, I've heard about this. No, I'm not going there. No, no, I'm sorry. (laughs) But Jazz Sabbath is very good. It's uh, they they do all jazz versions of like, you know, fairies wear boots, evil women, rat salad, Iron Man, Hand of Doom. All the greats, yeah, it's really but cool. Great Very arrangements different. of those songs are, gr- are fun to listen to. Here you go, Jeff. <laughs> Can you see it? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Although I would, uh, I would definitely rock that grimace costume tomorrow for Halloween. <laughs> You can't possibly enjoy this. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell is wrong with you guys? <laughs> you redeemed yourself being a Met fan. <laughs> oh, that was great. This made my whole this made my whole interview. <laughs> Max Sabbath. Max Sabbath. All right, I'm going to be honest with you. It's one of those bands that I get an email for when, because I live in Jersey, Johnny. So, like, I, uh, I'm i close to the Wellmont Theater in Montclair. Oh, okay. And uh, you always get the emails for free tickets to Max Sabbath. Really? They never, they never. I mean, one time they didn't put them on, and there was probably 38 people at the show. And then once they started sending out the emails to, you know, give the free tickets, oh, stuff, man. They, they were completely sold. But it's a trip to watch them, man. Oh, it's, it really it is a trip. Came. It's, you know, it's like, you know, it, it's it's a cartoon come to life. It's like oh, airplane man. the band. <laughs> <laughs> did you like, did you like Borat, by the way? I did. I you did. did. It, it's okay. not, I didn't find it as funny as the first one. Sure. But it was, uh, it was it was pretty good. I, it got a little too political at the end. Of course, think, yeah. But some some of the political satire was pretty funny. Like you know him in the Donald Trump suit going to the convention. That was great. That was great. I got her. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was funny. That was fun. It, it's kind of hard to recreate that lightning in a bottle when like you had yeah, something that he did. It was fourteen years ago, so nobody knew what this right. was. You know. Yeah. And, and I guess trying they, to, like they acknowledge that too in the movie, like you know, like yeah. when they, they show clips of him walking around and everybody's like Borat, Borat. Yeah, the only thing I really hate that now is like you got to have all these assholes doing the whole Borat voices for the uh, next, like, two months. Yes. Shit starts dying down a little bit. Yeah. Not happy. If, I have, if you get a chance, um, check out The Irishman. Did you see that on Netflix? The mm-hmm. Irishman. No, I heard it was a great movie. It's it's an it's it's a, it's a great movie. Uh, I think you would really like it. Um, uh, Martin Scorsese, Al Pacino, uh, Robert De Niro, Jeffrey Paul, uh, Bobby Cannavale, all in this movie. This is yeah, the I- ongoing thing, Johnny. Just so you know, um, there's now I I'm I'm very happy that you've been a guest on this show. Uh, I would love to have you back on again. So, but here's there's a certain couple things that come up in every single episode. <laughs> Jeff is from Staten Island. He owned a record store. He used to work for Columbia Records. He was in The Irishman. Um, he's oh, not you were funny. in the movie. Yeah, he was in the movie. Yeah. Um, oh, he's, he's not act, funny. I'm also a comedian. <laughs> yeah, he's not funny. And uh, I am definitely the workhorse of this of this show. That's what it comes down to. So, if you ever watch an episode, yeah, just, he's like the color. He's the color analyst. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of like um, 
how do I trying to give a comparison? It's like he knows his shit. Like he's very <laughs> smart. He's very smart. But you want to just punch his face every time you see him. I have I have friends like that. Oh, he's not my friend. He's not my friend. Understand this. He is. We are not friends in the least bit. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> that was good. Yeah. <laughs> this was actually a very fun episode, Johnny. I got to tell oh, you. Oh, good. I'm glad. And, uh, I'm and glad. I had fun. I'm having fun. It's you know the reason why we wanted to do, do this today and it worked out today is because you know there's a lot of things that I always associate with Halloween. You know, you obviously you think of your slasher movies, you think of yeah. you know all that stuff, but for me, Halloween is always about typo negative. So I have thank to admit, you. thank you. I have to admit, it's really weird when I'm home for Halloween. Yeah, I could imagine. Yeah, like it, it, it is. Like I haven't, I haven't really thought about it because, like you know, I guess because of everything that's going on. Like you know, I'm just doing my own thing, and I'm not, I'm not playing anywhere this year. But between Typo and Danzig, for so many years, I, I missed Halloween. Like you know, like sure. taking kids trick or treating and stuff. Oh, and, I can imagine. And listen, like, there's so many Halloween parties I've missed. From yeah. seeing typo negative on Halloween too, so so and it's always it, there's always like this weird, strange, awkward feeling. Like when I'm home, I'm like, "What am I doing?" You know, yeah. when sound check, you know, you know, <laughs> you know, what city am I in? And it's like, "Oh, wait a minute, I'm home." And it's like, "Oh, oh hey," you know. <laughs> right. Halloween is usually like not a good night for the comics. What's that? I said Halloween's not a good night for comedians. Uh, the clubs usually don't do that well on Halloween because people want to be out. They want to be going to concerts. They want to be going to parties. They okay. don't want to sit and listen. You know, um, I got two. I got two shows tonight and tomorrow night. I'm taking off because you know it's Halloween and Halloween during a pandemic is going to be brutal. And the world thanks the world thanks you, Jeff, for not working. Tonight, just so you know. So the clubs will be back tomorrow. Yeah. Listen, as many. Hey, hey you. The last time I saw a band on Halloween was, I think, four years ago. And I was out in L.A. and I saw Marilyn Manson play the Roxy. Oh, oh that's, wow. That's a cool on, show. On yeah. Halloween. But he had Johnny Depp playing guitar for him for the whole oh, show. Jesus Christ. That must have been great. It was an amazing show. And then wow. try. How'd you get in? Uh, I literally, it was sold out for weeks. And I went up to, we were going to the Rainbow because that whenever I'm in LA, that's where you hang out. You hang out at the Rainbow. And we couldn't get tickets for this advancing show. I could find, I managed to get one ticket. And I was like, we need two. I walked up to the, just like a real douche that I am. And I go, can I get two tickets? And the girl goes, sure. And just handed me two tickets. <laughs> That's all I did. I didn't. I didn't pull any other cards or, or beg. I just said, "Give me two tickets." And uh, four hundred. Would you have pulled? Okay. Did I? All right. This is gonna be the last. <laughs> this is gonna be the last story. This is gonna be. So, this is a douchey dick. story. This is a very douchey story. So, uh, Johnny, I don't know if you know my friend uh, Scott Evil from WDHA. Yeah, I know Scott very well. Yeah. Okay, so Scott's a, one of my best friends. So, oh, cool. he gives us tickets to see Metallica. Uh, at the Garden, I know at uh, MetLife a couple of years ago. So it's uh, Metallica, Volbeat, and Avenged Sevenfold. So I'm not going to turn down a free ticket. So I get the tickets. Scott's sitting, you know, really close to the floor. I am about 46 feet from God. 
<laughs> okay, so I'm on, I'm on the second to last row. It must have been the same seats that he gave me and Kenny to go see Judas Priest. <laughs> That's very possible too. That's very possible because he keeps the good shit for himself. The prick. Like the last seats. <laughs> so uh, I'm with his sister-in-law, uh, another comedian friend of ours, Joe Fernandez, and uh, a dear friend of his of his. So we're sitting up there, and I I may have had a drink or two in the parking lot. Right. So the girls say, we need to uh, go to the bathroom. So I'm like, you know what? We got to be gentlemen. Let's walk them down. So we walk down the 19,000 feet to get down to the, to the, you know, the vestibule or whatever. And I see it says guest services. So I go, give me your tickets. And I hand them, I get the tickets and I go to guest services and I go, we need better seats. And the girl goes, what's the matter? And I go, look, uh, there's a couple things. I don't want to sound like a dick, but... I'm a pretty famous comedian. Oh, I, didn't. I did. Damn, I totally uh, did. I'm embarrassed for you. I mean, I, I can't. Hold, shut I, up, Jeff. I can't even look oh, right now. Shut up. Hold on a second. Oh. So I go, plus oh. it's my friend's birthday. And she goes here and shows her license. And the girl says to me, if I give you better seats, you going to hook me up to tickets for a show? And I go, absolutely. She hands me back four tickets and goes, have a nice night, honey. 14th row i go from the second <laughs> row to the top to 14th row from the stage i, I kind of pulled something like that famous comedian i kind totally of did something. you weren't in the irishman come on <laughs> <laughs> what did you pull you know that um that that restaurant in manhattan sugar mm -hmm. right and there's yeah. like there's always like this crazy line sure. to get in so it was, uh, it was my daughter's birthday and we, and we were like, oh, you know, what can we do for her birthday and stuff? And like, so anyway, sugar came up and it was like, oh, there's like, you know, there's always like this, you know, the Kardashians eat there and stuff. It's like $30 for like this fruit drink. And, oh yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's totally ridiculous. So I turn around to my wife. I said, maybe we could throw the name around. <laughs> so it was like, what's the worst that can happen? They could just say no. So my wife calls the restaurant up like a week before we go. And she's like, yeah, she goes, I'm calling uh, for uh, Johnny Kelly. Uh, you know, he's the drummer from Danzig. You know, he wants to bring his daughter there for, for her birthday. And they were like, oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's like she called as like my, my publicist. That's great. <laughs> That's great. I should try that. So we made the reservation. And we were like, I can't believe it. It worked. And they were like, you know, when you get here on the day, like, you know, just, just go see the person at the, at the front, just tell them who you are and they'll, they'll take care of you the minute you get there. And there was this whole line going outside the, going outside the restaurant. We walked in the four of us, doo -doo -doo, you know, right in. And uh, it was like, a, I said, I believe I have a reservation. You know, my name's Johnny Kelly, you know, whatever. And they're like, Oh, okay, Mr. Kelly, you know, just wait right there. Walked us right in, sat us down. Waiter came over about like, you know, 15 minutes in. The manager comes over. Hey, Mr. Kelly, how are you? Is everything all right? You know, this and that. I was like, oh, everything's great. Thank you so much. You know? <laughs> That's awesome. Now, just remember, on this note, imagine if you told them that you were in the Irishman. Oh, yeah. Right? Imagine that. No, listen, don't be don't be a, one of the greatest drummers of the last 30 years. You've played in almost every metal band that's ever done anything in the last 30 years. But you know what? Next time you try and do this, Johnny, 
just pretend that you're a five foot six old comic from Staten Island who was in a movie for three minutes. <laughs> On that note, Jeffrey, got, take it home. I got, I got three scenes of that. I am, I am from Staten Island. <laughs> we won't hold it against you. He's a good man. Johnny, we can't thank you enough, man. Thank you thank so, you, so much. It was a lot of fun. This yeah, we really appreciate you coming on with us, giving us some of your time. We really do appreciate it. Um, listen, we wish everybody a happy Halloween. This will come out just in time for that. Halloween. So this is perfect. And I hope we can get you on again. That'd be uh, tremendous. And we wish you a lot of luck. And, you know, listen, guys, people are listening. Be safe. Keep continuing to subscribe and share and 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 help us out you know things are going great and let's keep it going and uh the election will be over and maybe we can just get back to music and life yeah i i honestly i can't wait it's just a few more days and then a few court battles and then yes. it will all be over and then we can just get <laughs> back to the, we could just get back to the regular conspiracy theories and stuff and <laughs> <laughs> can't i hope wait. cannot wait to see you on the road brother yes hopefully I, I in the spring your guys are back, back to work I can't, can't wait. wait to go back to work. Good, because I got nine albums for you to sign. <laughs> yeah. All right, no problem. <laughs> guys, thank on, you so much for watching the note. episode. Thanks, guys. Great show. Thank Have you. Have a good one. Hold on, guys. Bye-bye.